0: the career establishments talent talk asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with vincere the all-in-one crm for ambitious recruitment businesses founded by asia-based recruiters back in 2012 over a thousand recruitment companies choose vincere to accelerate their growth Whether your business is contract, temp, executive search or perm, if you're looking for a new breed of tech partner, talk to Vincere. Visit vincere.io forward slash talent talk Asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. Hi, I'm Andrea Ross, your host, and in this series, we feature some of the most successful talents from across the region to discuss the forces, opportunities, and challenges that are shaping the corporate landscape. If you're keen to be a guest on the show, then please reach out. me, Andrea Ross, your host for Talent Talk Asia, for an exclusive conversation with the charismatic Dominic DeCosta, head of Asia Pacific, project solutions and services for RP International, the global recruitment business specializing in technology, telecommunications and transformation. Now, Dominic started his career working for Rees Worldwide, which took him to Saudi Arabia and Dubai. He joined RP International in 2014 and moved internally to Singapore, where he now runs a profitable team covering Asia Pacific. Now, in this episode, Dominic shares his expertise on what clients are really looking for in a recruitment partner, how he's adapted to COVID when it comes to building relationships with clients and candidates, and what trends and innovations are disrupting the IT and telco sector. Hey Dom, how are you this morning?
1: I'm very well. Thank you, Andrea. How are you? How
0: yeah, are you I'm good. So we're recording at 10 o'clock in the morning. Have you been up for hours or you just rolled out of bed? Is this the first appointment of the day? This Talk is, me through this morning.
1: This is, I've been up probably since about four o'clock. This is probably my third video. What? Yeah, so far. Get up a bit early, get it to start. I'm, I'm an early person, early morning person. So yeah, I'm very much into the day. It's oh my God.
0: Were you working, or did you do exercise before that?
1: It's an, yeah, it's the gym. Gym first, get the mind right, get the body right, then it's uh, then it's yeah. the focus on the work. So yeah, is that
0: an every morning thing? It's the gym thing and every morning thing.
1: Yeah, for me, it's just it just works better in the morning. I'm just kind of I can get it done, and then I kind of feel better for the rest of the day. Right. I'm, I'm used at- in the evenings. I know people are different. Past seven pm, I'm, I'm almost dead anyway. My mind isn't there. Yeah. So I just I just function better in the morning. So, um, and I
0: remember a, a couple of years ago, Jeremy your boss showed me a magazine of you, which I don't think he he was supposed to show me this magazine. It was some kind of you won some I don't know, was it like Hunk of the Year or something? <laughs> something funny like that. Talk
1: about if you won, I'm not sure. First of all, I didn't win. And second of all it fun, <laughs> That's but uh... what I
0: didn't Well you're not competitive at all. <laughs> What was it yeah, then?
1: Absolutely. I've always loved it. It's just part of my life. It's just it's just uh it's just it helps me better at my job. It's just it, it kind of clarifies my mind. It's just uh yeah, I'm just doing it in the morning. also here in Singapore as you know, it's uh, working out with the gyms being closed during lockdown, I kind of do some work on my balcony or outdoors. It gets pretty yeah. good in the day. So the morning times as well. There's um there's a practical reason behind that as well.
0: Just yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great. I love that you just quickly um you just quickly got off the subject of what magazine that was. That was brilliant. That was uh you almost almost got away with it. I'll ask you later on that. <laughs> okay, so um you graduated from the University of City London with a Masters of Science in Physics. That's 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 didn't expect that at all in 2007. And then you joined the global recruitment firm Rees or Rise Worldwide. If I what's the right way of pronouncing that? Rise. Rise, as in we're rising ahead. Okay, well, you spent six six years working up the career ladder. So, you know, what was it that motivated you to get into, into recruitment? Because I would have thought doing a sort of a, a degree in physics would possibly have led somewhere different.
1: Yeah, I, and I, I agree. It's not the traditional route into recruitment. But then again, I was thinking, what is in some ways, I suppose, when you start out? theres I don't know if there is a traditional route, but for me... Um, what motivated me or the reason to get into recruitment, if I'm completely honest, back then was just money. I just wanted to earn money. I was motivated by that. Um, I finished uni of physics. Um, I had the option to go to research or academia, and I didn't really think that suited my personality type that much in terms of uh, more studying. I really what I liked, I loved doing physics and studying at school, maths and physics mm. were my strong points, and I was very numeric and, and I understood that side of things. Um, but just in the long term, I didn't see that carrying through and, and kind of working in a lab or becoming a lecturer or, or those traditional paths. And uh, yeah, I kind of started out. I had a brief stint in the summer after uni as a stockbroker in the city. I thought, oh, did you in finance? Yeah, uh, and in banking or something. But it was just I graduated as a financial crisis happened. So it literally right. it could have been a worse time to try and start a career in stockbroking or, or, yeah. or otherwise in finance <laughs> it would have been a bit in tricky. general. So. Someone suggested it. I uh, went for a, a, a day of a few interviews for recruitment companies and Rise, had just connected on the day. Did pretty well. Uh, got on with the guys that I met there, and, and there was an offer. And I thought I didn't like it. I just try something else, and then yeah. never looked back. Really, that was it, and went went on from there.
0: And what what area did you specialise in? Because I, I think when I looked at your LinkedIn, it doesn't it doesn't say.
1: Yeah, it, I could do better on that. It's been a
0: little, you've been a, a little bit secretive on that, as if it was some sort of you know like a james bond thing that you couldn't tell anyone what you were doing it was all top secret
1: we could do that but it's, it's not that but yeah that's okay yeah that, you could allude to that it's uh <laughs> just so happened that i mean the, the company rise fairly small at the time set up by yeah. a few guys from i don't know if you know a company called Glowtel back in the day they're a bigger uh company in the u.s no. and everywhere so two directors set up rise and they were they're a telecom specialist in telco market
0: Oh, are they? Okay. I'm still going
1: strong. Great owners, great guys there, um, good business, um, mostly on the contract side of things. And uh, that was it. That's what they did. So I was joining them on that. It wasn't a, it was there Your desk. This is what we do um, learn, learn the terminology and, and give it your best go. And so that was, that was it. In Angel, there was about, I think, I don't know, 15 people when I joined um, in, in the office there. And that was it. But it was good.
0: And so, so within sort of a year, then then you moved to Saudi Arabia, which I don't think I've ever really spoken to anyone that's done that kind of that, that career move. So that's interesting. What was the motivations to go to go there? <laughs> what was their, What was their plan as a business as well?
1: It, it was more the latter there, Andrew. It's the, it the business plan rather than my. my I didn't put my right side. I wanted to live in Saudi, but it just the way it transpired. Yeah. Doing lots of business with the likes of Ericsson and Nokia and Huawei, um, and they had a. With that, Rise were always doing business, not just in UK, but around the Middle East and Africa. And it was just, there was some momentum there. And it got to the point, I think, we maybe had 20, 30, 40 contractors and growing in Saudi.
0: Wow, at the time. okay.
1: And it got to the point where it was like, should we go there? Should we kind of invest at the time and, and see assess the opportunity on the ground? And uh, being a 22, 23-year-old, um, why not? I didn't like it again. I could just always come home. There's no, no commitment there. So I was invited to do that. Uh, with Richard Morton and my boss at the time, to to relocate there, set up a local office, Um, and a few other colleagues went along as well um, over the period of the the journey. And, yeah, that that was it, really, just to kind of grow things locally there, establish a presence in the Middle East. And um, it's where the business was at the time. I mean, a lot of people think of Dubai or Qatar or Abu Dhabi. Yeah, Uh, yeah. A lot friendlier, um, more popular places to live. But at the time, our business was in Saudi. Uh, A great opportunity was there, so we just followed that. Um, to try and maximise at the time.
0: So, how did you find living there? What was it like? It was all right.
1: It was a shock initially. Uh, I would. say. In
0: what in what way?
1: We're living in a compound, military being guarded. Um, oh wow! Because women not allowed to drive, can't talk to women on the streets, or just everyone oh, wow. dressed, different, spoke different, believed everything. It's like living on Mars, I suppose in some ways. And yeah. Yeah. Um, but you, it's amazing how you just adapt to the environment that you're in. It's strange for a couple of weeks, maybe a month, and you see everyone else living that way. And you just yeah. you just kind of follow suit, maybe similar to lockdowns and everything that's happened this year. It doesn't, it doesn't feel weird for long because you just adapt to yeah. the environment that you're in. So it was okay. I mean, and I had a few other colleagues, but friends that I worked with, uh, we all had a villa in the compound, our office was there. There was a good yeah. social, real expat scene because everyone's in it together. So the expats that are there, they end up becoming almost your family in the long run, the people that you work with and stuff, because there is a quite close community more so than in Dubai or even here in Singapore in some ways. So, um, yeah, everyone's kind of in it together. We used to work super hard for six weeks almost every day and then do a two-week trip to like, I don't know, Bangkok or Vegas or somewhere and then come back and then being work mode, right. and then have see those- what it's
0: like uh, the rest of the world that's normal that's a little bit more normal or a yeah. little bit different. So when you were working on the recruit on the recruitment side with clients and candidates was it you know for what well, maybe the question is on the client side was it really you know male dominated or you know were you dealing with women leaders there or was it pretty I mean I'm just I'm just actually quite intrigued to know that.
1: Yes, this is a good question. It was 100% male dominated for sure. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. There was women on the compound that would be the wives. But at, at the time, that now there's a – I think at the, now the companies in, in Saudi actually do have women that are employed. But I think they have them in a separate area. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't <laughs> know whether, whether oh, you can be work in an office, uh, with actually women next to you. I'm not sure. I don't know. But at the time I, – Wow. I would, so it
0: hasn't progressed an awful lot then since yeah. your time in 2014 – I would say so. I'm not trying to get you political. I'm just actually just intrigued. I mean, yeah, it, look, everyone... Absolutely. It sounds, you know, it's one of those things that when you talk about
1: it out loud, it sounds crazy. That, but at the time, yeah. you're not really walking around thinking about it. But yeah, absolutely. I think that they've come on. They would say they've probably come on a lot in the driving side of things and, and actually employing women in some form. But yeah, it's just so different in so many ways. Wow. Well, actually- there must I'll- be quite
0: a few frustrated ladies that really want to go and do that and, and are restricted to do that. I mean, some may be absolutely happy with that choice. That's fine. Yeah. But there must be some that feel extremely frustrated frustrated that they can't do what they necessarily want to do and i think from a team perspective it must be you know when you when you have a diverse team whether that's gender or ethnicity or whatever it might be you just get different thinking right it's just diverse thinking so i just find that i just find that quite um quite interesting that yeah. it would be so male dominated were your contractors all um foreigners were they a mix of sort of nationalities of contractors that you had that you were managing
1: yeah it's a uh... It's a good question. They would all, they're all they all non-locals, I would say, at the time. It was a right. expat-dominated market. To get anything done, it was foreign workers, whether that's yeah. India, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, or Philippines, or UK, and, and elsewhere, obviously, around the world. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't so much a local market. Um, there's Saudiisation rules now in place, so that encourages locals to be hired. But, in general, um, it was very hard to find people in.
0: Yeah, they don't want to do it. <laughs> they don't want to do those roles.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: <laughs> so how were you going about trying to get foreign talent into those roles then? Because obviously you're not finding people locally. I know you could you could obviously people that are already on the ground and extending the contracts or, you know, getting them into other contracts. But if you're bringing people globally, what was kind of your sort of the marketing channels or how did you go about trying to find and identify those candidates? Because that must have been quite tricky.
1: Yeah, I guess. I need to... Just a lot of this, Andrea. Of it was up. purely
0: headhunting, yeah? There's no kind of like, so I know here you can sort of get in contact with, you know, especially for Singapore, there's like groups in London where it's Singaporeans join. It's like the expats of Singapore, you know, join a group in London and you can locate them that way and stuff. But Yeah. Um, the,
1: the people that we recruited for very much specialist in the telco market. So whether that's rolling out telecom networks, optimising telecom networks, project managers, site build, even to, down to the people that would dig the roads that put the fiber in for the broadband. So we'd p- bring people in from Philippines. We did actually do some career fairs in Asia, Indonesia, and um, more hands-on workers. And then you've got more experienced guys that you take from maybe yeah. the markets, even South America as well. But everyone was still connected. It wasn't that long ago. LinkedIn was still a thing and, and job yeah. boards and stuff like that. So you take people to and from projects and, yeah, people would recommend I- uh,
0: How did you go, I know I'm asking you questions that aren't on the list. You're going to go, God damn her. How did you, what was it like just from a relationship building perspective? If you were to compare that now to kind of the relationships that you have across Asia, how does that compare to how the ones that you had in Saudi Arabia, were they still close? Was it more sort of arm's length? I'd just be keen to know what that looked like.
1: I think it's probably the best thing that happened to me from a client relationship perspective so early on was to see clients as people and get to know them personally. Even very super senior C-level uh, execs would be on the compound. They'd become a clients, almost friends. would socialise with them. Uh,
0: yeah.
1: Having such a age gap as well and then not being so intimidated, understanding that they're just people with jobs and and playing sport with whatever and, and having that um, view that you're kind of not on, on a level, but just seeing them as people trying to do a job yeah.
0: Well. yeah
1: um, And ha- having the being able, able to develop relationships almost personally, non-work related, if someone's into a sport and you're, kind of, you're in, it, in it together, yeah, it's probably the most significant, impactful part of the journey of experience, I would say, that's brought me here today. And, and, and I've learned so much from that part. And I see other people struggling sometimes with that bit, seeing, especially yeah. people early on in recruitment, scared. maybe it's a client or someone senior and it's more into yeah. them. And I never really had that, or early on got, got rid of that, became a lot more comfortable speaking to very senior people People talk yeah. twice my age, 30, 40 years older than me at the time, and it kind of got wasn't a big thing after a while from mm,
0: okay. And so um so if someone was moving from the UK or Asia and was looking to go to the Middle East, I'm not sure how often that happens actually. i would be interested to see the if if that is a thing. I know not right now, but um what advice would you give someone that was that was going into into um, the Middle East to recruit?
1: I would say be respectful. If you're coming from a Western country, mm. first and foremost, it's very different. Um, yeah. Different countries are different, but s- still be respectful of the local cultures. Be open minded yeah. um, It probably won't pan out how you think. It could be a bit better and bit, some bits will be a bit worse, but that's okay. So yeah. uh, have an open mind and be flexible with that. And... Um, Save your tax-free money. Make the most of it because I think that one of the drivers is obviously life experience and that. But uh, there's there's normally a commercial aspect of the move as well. Let's be honest. So you, you kind of want to make that worthwhile. You, yeah, people be there for five, ten years and, and might have great memories, I suppose. But you kind of want yes, to, like yeah, financially as well. Economically, it needs to be worthwhile. I would say.
0: Is there anything that a recruiter, I mean, I'd imagine someone was probably at a fairly seniorish level if they were going to make, make that move and someone was going to hire them into the Middle East um, and bring an expat in. Is there anything from just a recruitment perspective? I mean, I don't know, just how people, how you headhunt there or how you approach people. I know everyone's different around the world and we just had Garrett on the show recently and he was talking about his time in Japan and how you really, you know, when you're speaking to candidates, it's you know you, it's just different ways of doing things like it's just different um in terms of how you're persuading candidates to look at your roles or whatever whatever so is there any kind of uniqueness around the Middle East that you found well that's really not the done thing you know you is there anything like that that would yeah. be quite different than what what happens here
1: I would say it's, it's quite I found it to be quite hierarchical in the sense where Seniority respects seniority a lot more than here or maybe in UK. So I used to draft emails. So if I wanted to BD into a senior person, I used to draft yeah. and get my boss to send it from him because so he comes right. from the CEO of the region. There's more right. getting a reply. Right, and with his RP, I get Julian to flick it through, and he would get a reply. Yeah. But in the same, time I would never get yeah. a reply back. And then and then I engaged that way. They'd like uh, yeah, calls or. Or well, that culture is they don't kind of, not many people, as if you're senior, want to be called by a 21-year-old, uh, another 60-year-old man, man-to-man. Wouldn't yeah. it kind of, there's a lot more, it's a respectful hierarchical aspect that I didn't realise at first, but I kind of figured out and used it to my advantage a bit, so.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? I think, I'd, I'd imagine that's probably in still some Asian countries here, possibly, hmm. you know, maybe sort of the Thailand's or the Japan, Japan, places like that, maybe. I don't know.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. So what was your, what was sort of your biggest, biggest sort of challenge in your career at that stage in your life then? You know, you'd, you'd left from the UK, you'd gone and worked in um, Saudi Arabia. What would you say was sort of the biggest hurdle, the biggest challenge for you that you faced? I think, to be honest,
1: committing to recruitment as a profession long term was the thing. I think it was still actually going for it, thinking, is this, is this going to be a long term career to maybe three, five, four years into doing it? Um, we grew aggressively quick by the time I left Saudi we had it just under just under 600 contractors that we had placed from oh wow Yeah, hell of a lot so Mm. um, the stresses of that and it was very much you kind of I wouldn't say make up as you go along but there was not many of us doing it and we yeah wasn't expected to go as big as it did but not much more from a back office as well in some respects so there was times where I was like yeah it was it was a bit much for a young 20 year that's a
0: hell of a lot so did you have like an external team or financing that did all the payrolling and stuff or like the timesheets and stuff did you or was that all in-house
1: yeah no we did we, we had a jv signed up with a local saudi business so they were they were right. they weren't recruitment. they're a huge huge company that do construction and stuff in a headcount perspective so we jv'd with them and then we'd managed from the finance back office payroll aspects but then yeah there was challenges involved in that as well because they didn't really not understand our business and vice versa um yeah and, and stuff like that I did. Oh,
0: that is interesting talking about contract before i forget there's actually a podcast coming out um by you know vincere sponsor this podcast and they're actually doing their own podcast the CR- crm business yeah. they're actually just setting up a podcast called the contract recruiter podcast and they're wow. going to be doing podcasts specifically on contracting so Um, for anyone that's listening on that contract side I think that'd be quite interesting actually because it is so specialised isn't it in terms of how you're growing it how you're dealing on the back end side the types of recruiters that would look after contract business I mean that's quite a big thing I mean you've obviously I know we're not going straight into RP International at the moment but it's a different type of consultant that can manage a contract business right
1: it's a completely different sport I would say because you're you're having the you're getting paid for them working. You don't just do the deal and walk away. You, <laughs> yeah. Up, the work starts yeah. when they arrive, and it's uh, keeping yeah. them on site. You're involved in their performance, their health. Uh, if they're turning up for work or not, if there's not it's a problem, you're, you're responsible for yeah. the project. Even six months down the line, if they go missing or go on holiday or, or how yeah, you are mm. the your the revenues are a direct result of, of how well you maintain those relationships ongoing. Yeah. Um, and it's just as hard to sometimes keep people there as it is to get them there in the first place. So it's a completely different aspect.
0: It really is. Of- yeah, it absolutely is. And I think sometimes with consultants, they would prefer just to, okay, I've made the placement, move on, next client, next. But you're right, that whole management side of it and just making sure that they stay in the contract. And um, God, yeah, that is, it is a, def- a different breed of consultant. It's certainly not an easy one. Okay, so let's sort of move on to the because the reason I wanted to get you on the show is I know that you're well I, you have a great reputation in terms of the relationships that you build with clients and, and candidates across the region and you know I really wanted to sort of get into that a little bit more because I think a lot of recruiters really face a massive challenge right now is if they're beading into clients that they don't necessarily know as well and just how do they prove that direct record how do they you know, become memorable. How do they build those relationships? Um, and I and I really wanted to just get your take on sort of you know giving advice to those people. So let's bring us up to date. So in two thousand and fourteen, you joined RP International. So you were still based. Oh, you moved into you moved to Dubai. So you went from Saudi to D- Dubai. Is that right? So how long were you in Saudi for then before you moved to Dubai?
1: Just under three years. I did in Saudi. Just about three years, I'd say Saudi. So three
0: years with Rise. Correct. Yeah. So what, what was the reason for moving over to RP International then?
1: Um, well, I already moved over to Dubai. Three years was more than enough, so Saudi was done for me and the uh, rides were flexible and uh, uh, to, to kind of uh, recognise that and a uh, move to Dubai to set up a Dubai presence was, was a next logical step. So I took that on board and that was a great experience and a journey to do that. A bit more on the operational sides of an entity, finding an office, uh, all that aspect of... of mm. Rather than just the selling or the recruiting side, so that was good to learn that. Be on the ground. Be—I was in Dubai for a year almost on my own. Um, <laughs> How was that? The representative there. It was. All...
0: Were you okay with that? I get the impression that you'd actually be okay with that. Yeah, no, it was fine. Exactly
1: that. It was. It was okay. I kind of, kind of like that freedom. That um, yeah. even now that was wasn't wasn't so much a bad thing. Socially, it was harder than professionally. It was okay. The work side of things was fine.
0: Why? Why was that was then?
1: That, I was so used to being in the compound life in Saudi and having that kind of family feeling and even not everyone right, right, and Dubai is a bit more transient and I just uh it, it was fine I've had a great life there and made some fantastic friends but the first it was different was at, I, from Saudi I, it was especially everyone had their own friends already um I'm just being there on my own I had no colleagues to do that sort of side of things so yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: so you were a little bit Billy No mates for a few <laughs> first few months, is yeah. that right? I wasn't going to say it
1: that way, but potentially.
0: <laughs> so, when you went to RP International, was that was that doing contract recruitment, or was that everything that you could get your hands on? Like what, yeah, what I came was it? in as
1: a contract recruiter, so I was probably in by a year or so before I made the switch to RPI. Um, it was just it, okay. it just made a lot of sense. RPI also in telco, bigger brand, longer established. Um, more senior relationships. It was just had a, yeah. it was, a, it was a, just a logical transition from what I was doing before to yeah. to just a um, yeah a bigger bigger brother like a, a similar 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 market but just a more established as a brand and a business. So yeah, just so
0: tell us. So tell us for those people that aren't so familiar because RP International is one of those businesses that you do really well but you don't tell anyone. Like you're, it's like this sort of secret weapon that you have. It's like oh, we don't we don't want to overly advertise ourselves or it's just. It's not very British, you know, so I get that impression sometimes. I know you're doing a lot of marketing stuff at the moment and we can talk about that later. But um, tell me a little bit more about ARP International because, you know, obviously I've done some work with you guys on the training side. So I know a little bit, but there's some listeners that may not know. So give us a rundown. Tell us a little bit more about the business. Sure. So
1: RPI have been going for just over 25 years now. Headquarters in London Um, have probably, I would say, three different sides to the business. Um, which leads to the success that we've, we've had over the years. Very successful C-level executive search practice led by some very experienced directors um, across the regions, basically. So in good times, that could be 20%, 25%, up to 30% of our revenue would come from placing CEOs and CIOs, um, chief digital officers, uh, mostly in the telco operators around the world. So um, it's great, great to have that. As a, as a history and a, as a brand. Um, at the moment, it's kind of been affected. We'll probably get into it more, but that's kind of the side of the thing that's been hurt the most this year. Um, that's one side. And then obviously our senior headhunting recruitment practice for the consultants, the tech companies. Um, I should say probably our regions are Europe, our headquarters in London, Middle East and Africa, and then Asia Pacific. So we're, we're branching out. We set up a f- first office in the US, but it's a new era for us. A Latin America oh, right. um, is an area... New
0: York or where in us atlanta oh right
1: yeah wow get on those
0: those slot machines brilliant
1: i know yeah we'll see where that is going (laughs) but um yeah there's there's future plans there i would say but very much the histories emerging markets uh is kind of of success has been established in dubai one of the first companies to go there and just help set up the the do uh which was the first operator there the timing was great and uh literally hundreds of placements later um kind of establishing telcos from the start from the ground up and being around and you're
0: still in now. dubai aren't you you still very much so yeah yeah and who so who runs who runs dubai that's julian right julian yeah so so that's julian right and the reason i mentioned is just when people listen and they want to get in contact we'll have the names of the people that they can contact on the spotify so that if people wanted to talk to them about being hired or contractors they can contact wherever 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 the, you know those contacts are
1: yeah, yeah. so they should do that um, but yeah so that's uh and then the other side of the business is the contracting side of the business okay Out of all the companies and i probably a lot of companies so whatever but uh yeah i haven't come across a company that has the a, the, a better blend of those services I mean, yeah we have some clients that buy all free services from us uh that we play c-level people with Uh, heads of VPs and also we provide project services to as well we have some clients that we only but yeah it's um you are
0: right there because I think sometimes either a company goes down that contract route which warrants a certain type of model right and and then if you're just doing senior search again it's different so actually having that all within one organization is is quite rare I think and if you get it right as well absolutely
1: I can think of some really successful contractor business but they they don't do exact search. Yeah, When I can think of really good exact search businesses, but wouldn't run a contract book at all. Yeah, uh, no,
0: exactly. So, 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 twenty-five years. Again, that's a that's that's you know, we've not seen so many organisations that are lasting twenty-five years, right? Especially with all the things that are going on in the last few years. So, so, Stuart Wilson is is the guy that set it up, right?
1: Yeah. So Stuart and Julian are both the co-founders. So they uh, got it right. Stuart based out of London. So he had. Uh, the telco, the well, the business in general, but obviously out of Europe. And Julian is in Dubai, um doing running that region. So they're, and they're still billing. They are very much had That's amazing. as well, uh, to put it mildly. So
0: they must enjoy that, though, right? They must. It, I mean, they don't need to do it, right? The, yeah. the business is already financially um stable, so they do it because they they still own these relationships and they enjoy the recruitment side. Like I'm. I'm I'm keen to know because you know Robert Waters. He doesn't recruit. He didn't do it for a long time, right? Because the size of the business. So a lot of people that have got the name behind the, on their name on the um, company have moved away from recruitment. So yeah. what do you think are the reasons why they've stayed doing it?
1: Andrea, I think they just love it. They enjoy enjoy it as much as ever before. I would say the energy gets passed down. Um, it's just part of the culture of the business. It's it's top top down you you kind of you, you you take charge from the people that are yeah. in the business and it's very much that yeah. that culture comes through down the levels and it, you kind of mm. look by example I would say so yeah some of the relationships are still there and it just helps the other sales in the business when you kind of uh, you can see your ceo still out there talking to clients having an understanding absolutely
0: yeah but also it makes your life a little bit easier right because if you're I mean it's always difficult trying to break into certain organizations, but if you've still got someone that's been there over twenty five years those people they were placing twenty odd years ago are now sea levels right so it's just it's just easier isn't it
1: yeah from two sides, it's, a, it's easier from a client transition and, and relationship perspective, and then anyone that joins the business can from a Can pick up on that experience. Yeah, leverage off it. Yeah, I love
0: that. So, so, talk me through what you're doing in your role now, Singapore RP International. Run me
1: through that. So, I'm running Asia Pacific region from projects uh, and services, as well as um, uh, permanent business as well around technology. So, for, for the Asia Pacific region. So that I live in Singapore. Uh, I cover. We basically cover from India all the way to New Zealand. We have a lot of offices around Asia, and KF, oh, okay. Sydney, um, Auckland. Um, we have obviously local partners in presence in Manila and uh, Jakarta and elsewhere. Um, so yes, yeah, so I'm running that from a. I would say, telco, media, and tech. The TMT. That's just my next question. That, okay, so uh,
0: telco, media, and tech. Yeah, absolutely. Okay,
1: and that and that varies in each country. We are very spread out. It's it's, it's served us well over the years because. Um, In recent years Philippines was a great market for us and when the the market kind of slows down there's there's one of the best things I love about working in Asia is it's so spread out there's so much going on that there is always some activity since I've been here anyway to kind of get excited about so Malaysia was very hot for us and Australia's been a great market and Japan's now looking pretty exciting in the future so uh we are we do cover the complete region. Um I wouldn't, I wouldn't we're far from just a Singapore business, although so we are a hub here. Yeah, yeah.
0: How is your Malaysia business? Because you've got tree up there, right? You're the, the, the absolutely the fantastic My Tree that the biggest personality um in one of the recruitment firms up in Malaysia. She's an absolute star. So how's that how is Malaysia right now from you know just a business perspective?
1: Yeah, Malaysia's good. You're right. is awesome, she's doing fantastic there. Um We've always had an office, I mean, 10 years, we've had a, a, an office plus in Malaysia. It's always been a good market for us, but it's, it's. I would say, before COVID happened, maybe for every 10 placements that I would do, maybe four or five of them would be in Malaysia. It was almost 15, Right. And the rest would be elsewhere in Asia, but it was less so much now. But, I mean, for te- if you look at telco, there's maybe seven operators. Which yes. Is um, and then all those yeah. operators probably work with a whole bunch of vendors and suppliers so that you can exponentially times that. Across and then yeah. they might work with people as well. So the ecosystem there is a lot. KL is a great scene for expats, and a lot of senior people are based in KL, uh, yeah. and similar to Singapore. But there's um, more of a scene there, I find anyway. So yeah, there's a lot of pros, and, and companies now moving to Asia. I'm seeing looking at Singapore, you look at Hong Kong, I end up thinking maybe KL is the place to hub yeah. uh, rather than Singapore and Hong Kong, or even. And
0: just from a contract market perspective. How, you know, is is it quite a big market there for contracts? Is it, you know, I'm keen to know sort of what that looks like in terms of the types of candidates, you know, if it is and if what kind of candidates are generally sought after there and is it more local talent that are, are taking up those positions? Talent Talk Asia is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Visit vincere.io forward slash Asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast.
1: Yeah, I would definitely say it's a contract market there. Um okay. there's still there's still a cultural shift in understanding from some clients and candidates around the contracting profession or uh, yeah, model. I would say it's the same
0: here, though, isn't it? To a certain extent, isn't Absolutely. it? More so
1: here. More so here. It's yes. kind of a bit more burst to it, I would say, a bit more advanced than that. But uh, oh, really? Okay. Technology, okay. technology spending is, is increasing and committed to in Malaysia. Um, just telco and IT in general, digital transformations. Uh, uh, they're on. They're on an early start of that journey. There. There's a lot of investment going on on that, and technology transformation does lend itself to contracting in some yeah. ways a lot more. Perfect, yeah more project
0: led. yeah regardless
1: of the where you are in the world so there is that aspect as well so yeah it's, it's a good market for us and
0: so do clients tend to want to put those contractors on your payroll or do they have the do they have the infrastructure to be able to do that themselves like up in malaysia
1: um either or i would say and most of the okay. case you up with we we payroll and employ the people ourselves it's kind of why we yeah have, i mean just not just uh my tree but we have a Reema as well is awesome on the back office side of things and manages the payroll and the admin locally there. Fantastic. The rules always change with MOM in terms of bringing people in with <laughs> permits. And, and yeah, so
0: you've got to keep up with all that,
1: yeah. Sure, especially when we have, yeah. I haven't checked the latest numbers, but yeah, just under yeah, 30, 40, 50 people. I've got always contractors that are there supporting our clients on site just in Malaysia alone. So, um, And it's, uh, I wouldn't say easier, but yeah, bringing, bringing people into Singapore can be challenging. There's the rules and regulations around that. They're also in Malaysia, but it's, it seems to be a friendlier, more accessible market to bring people in, uh, non-Malaysians as well, compared to here.
0: So talk, talk me through, you know, how have you gone about building your client and candidate network to what it is today? Because I mean, you've been here a few years now. Yeah. But talk, talk me through kind of that progression. What was it? if you had someone new on your team now that was going to be like a little double of you, right? You know, how would you, what kind of advice would you give them? What are the steps to go through? How do you get to that point where you've got trusted repeat business, close relationships? Yeah. How, talk me oh, through that.
1: When I first got here, it's, the advice is a bit uh, different, I would say, because this is a strange time we're in as of today, but yeah. the first year or two years, I just spent on a plane. I was just covering the region. I would flight uh, as much as I could to meet.
0: Yeah, I never got to see you for, I think, the first few years when I did training for you. You were always on a plane. Yeah, I just wanted yeah, to, you do a lot of to travel
1: in the new countries, new people to meet, um, some old faces maybe that worked up here in the past and been spoke to for a while or just new in general. Um, I wanted to map out every market, get to know as many people as I could, um, and I would just encourage people to do that if you virtually now, rather than physically, but I think that's quite important as well because I think and this market now, I mean, I joke and call it a 1% market or 1% economy where usually only 1% of people are hiring, if you're lucky. Probably now it's like uh, less than that. So if you only know a yeah. people, you're going to struggle. If you know 1,000 people or if you've met 2,000 people over the course of uh, five years, um, it's just that my old boss used to say it's a numbers game, isn't it? It's a contact sport. So, uh, yeah, just to get around as much people as you can. That irrelevant. Um And also as well, I would definitely encourage anyone these days, I would say, especially if you're in technology or, or actually other areas, is to go niche, become an expert, know, Good know the area that you're talking about. I think um, as times get. So you're
0: up, saying not go as wide, you're not saying go after everything, you're saying be an expert in your field, I would dig deeper, yeah, not yeah, wider.
1: Exactly. I mean, even within telco, you could go, there's layers to that. There's people that just do one area of telco itself. and
0: Okay, okay.
1: Uh, cover wider regions, but actually know. No, a bit rather than
0: so geographical spread can be wide, but in terms of the actual area that you want to be known for, do you want to go much deeper?
1: That's that's what worked for me in the past. I would say I'd encourage. Can I just ask
0: one question? Going back a second, when you mentioned that you'd be on a plane a lot, and I know Rob Walters, we would never travel anywhere. I mean, we were country country based anyway, so it wasn't so relevant. But it just seems a little bit alien to me that as a recruitment firm, you would fly you would kind of fly to Jakarta you'd fly to Thailand you go and meet a client there it really is alien to me coming from the type of recruitment firms I've worked for so to you it just seems normal you're paying for that up front obviously you know you're paying for that out of your pocket in terms of the company and so you so the way that is that correct is that correct yeah right so how you're qualifying those calls must be bloody good right Yeah. In terms of, you know, you're not going to be meeting any old bugger, right? Because you paid for flight, you paid for hotels, you paid, you know, you got your time. So when you're qualifying those calls, they're kind of set questions that you tend to really nail down or is it all, you know, is it just, you know, because I think that's the one thing that sometimes recruiters really struggle with is they go through the cold call. There's always that little bit nervousness. And they don't want to press harder on, well, is this really worth it? Are you really going to ever be hiring or, you know, and, and actually making that intent quite obvious on that phone call. So what are your qualification kind of rules or things that you tend to really focus on
1: Okay. Yeah. in the
0: days when you could travel, right?
1: Good point. I never uh, yeah, thinking of recruitment without traveling is like thinking of recruitment without an email address or a phone to me. It's just part of the, I couldn't even imagine the job without that. It's just always been it yeah
0: it's just very in, alien to me yeah
1: is, if you took that away, I think I'd do something else. I think it would be such a core cool part of uh, the, the reason why I love what I do. uh um, be a
0: pilot <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah or, yeah maybe uh, but, uh yeah, so um.
0: So, what are you saying? What do you think you're doing differently on qualifying
1: it? It goes back to what I said before about being more niche. If, you, if you're if you targeting the right people in a sector that you know about, that you've done, pretty, you have uh, credibility and that you've done placements with before, that you have a history in demonstrating some value, then you've got more chance of having a credible conversation with someone yeah. and then justifying the meeting and something to land from it. If you're talking to yeah. the person and you've placed someone, that does that job elsewhere and then that person has a more chance of wanting to meet with you in person yeah. wherever they are um so you've already got that story so it's i mean it, it, it's self-generating momentum because yeah yeah a specialist in
0: that makes, no, it makes absolute sense and so now that you're doing you're not traveling you're doing the virtual has that made you go a bit stir crazy is this where you get up at four o'clock in the morning and go to the gym <laughs> i would always do that
1: I'd just be flying <laughs> at five so yeah that's, <laughs> right okay an so, so it's funny, It's I've become more diligent in keeping in touch. I do so many more Zoom meeting calls now than obviously would anyone. Else. Everyone's the same as I did before. Right. Uh, but I have very much slowed down in new people that I've met. I still- ah,
0: so you're going over the, 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 the ones you know already. Yeah. Why is that?
1: It's just, I, yeah, it's just not as easy to develop the same type of relationship remotely for the first time than it is... Um, in person, and like if you're making an effort to go to India or Myanmar and you're there and you're there for a week and you're, you're eating the same food and you're there for business. And They'll if,
0: take the opportunity well, to meet you. It's a lot of mm. to
1: meet and, and have a discussion. Yeah. If you've never met this person before and you're pinging them and you just want to have a chat, it's fine. It's just, a, it can be done. but it's a Yeah, lot-
0: you're absolutely right. And I'm really glad you said that because I think... I can imagine a lot of rec- recruiters at the junior level are they're absolutely facing out, I and mean, I've got a few messages pinged to me, and it's kind of you know ah, I don't want to keep ringing the say I don't want to call you know do a Zoom call when it's a cold call. No one wants to go on a Zoom call with me. It's like a bit awkward. It's a bit you know it's like a date, right? So they're obviously going to be doing the phone calls is that initial? Mm-hmm. But are you saying that you want to that when you are getting to that point where you're you're then going to be looking at new contacts and and business developing? How's that going to shift for you then? Is it going to be phone call, just keep them warm for a little bit, then maybe, hey, we spoke a couple of months ago, you know, because you can do a coffee now. So how, how you there, would you then, in this world that we're in, then try and break into the new clients?
1: Yeah, I would, Yeah, phone call is still my go-to. Um, I'm thinking of the clients that I've, I've started to work with this year that are new for me, which is still, I've still managed to engage with a few new clients and bring some on board and, yeah. and, and meet new people and connect to them and work with them and do business together. Um, it would always be phone calls and emails and then at some point we'd do a video if it doesn't uh, if it doesn't feel right and awkward you probably shouldn't do it because it's, a, it's no a, no a
0: exactly class. yeah
1: if you've already sent some cvs you've got an offer or if candidates started and you realize oh my god know, i've never seen you in the flesh and you just kind of yeah
0: perfect it. that's a great that's a great example yeah and uh great advice. Great. maybe a, a
1: later one you have a glass of wine or a drink and it's an evening and there's a, a virtual drink or something and uh um absolutely have you
0: done a virtual drink
1: I have done yeah yeah have you uh, yeah,
0: yeah no not a pub not a quiz thing with your mates on the weekend but have you done it with a client like a virtual
1: yeah
0: exactly oh I like that that's really cool I think that would only suit certain people absolutely. though wouldn't it and you'd have to make sure you judge that quite right
1: Need to be pitched in advance. You just turn up with a beer for a Zoom call. <laughs> down so well,
0: so uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's genuinely what my podcast interviews. If I do it in the afternoon, it's a Friday. They tend to. There's yeah. always the, the guest has always got a beer in their hand. That was really good advice. I'm really glad you said that because I think that would give people a lot of confidence to not feel so pressured that oh my god, they've got to try and get a Zoom call on the first call. And I just don't think it's realistic. No. Um, you know, oh, I've already asked that question. In what way do you think? You've changed or adapted your style, your approach, or the tools you're using on how you recruit because of COVID. Is there anything that's really sort of sticks out in your mind?
1: Um, on, on the recruitment side of things, I don't know if much has changed um, to recruitment. Is oh, uh, kind of break selling and recruiting as two. No,
0: just in terms of your approach, like you were saying before, your you're probably doing a lot more Zoom calls with your existing client base. That, that's great. I love to hear that because I think you're making sure you're, you're, I think a lot of people always go out to new clients and think that's where the business is. But actually you've got that track record. It's about digging deeper into the existing, right? And keeping those ones warm. So is there anything else that you think you're doing that's kind of a little bit different? Um, you're actually doing more of something or less of something and just adapted that a little bit because that's working for you.
1: I've definitely become a lot more diligent to the existing, it's kind of a touch on what you just said there, or the existing contractors that we have or people that we've placed in the past. Um, it was scary when things get into lockdown in March and uh, February and March time. I wasn't sure. Yeah. It was bad and it was scary and I wasn't sure how bad it would get. And it really makes you mm. not take for granted the the relationships and the candidates that you've placed. Yeah. But you think, God, imagine if like, that, that doesn't we don't we lose that type of relationship or so ever since then i've I've been made aware it's a good reminder that actually these are the the network is all you have your relationship's all you have it
0: is and sometimes you can get into that habit of always chasing the new ones right yeah, absolutely yeah. And forgetting kind of you know what got you where you are and and what's the most important well it's also an easier sell you don't have to be going through a load of t's and c's if you've already got those relationships
1: right and also okay also the candidates maybe get in contact for other roles all the time and how often your relationships are with the candidates are you really yeah. are you close to them as much as before because there's less roles about. There's less candidates to fit the roles.
0: Yeah, other people could be building those relationships, and, and um, especially if they're pulling them out of contract roles. Because I suppose if that's probably the most worrying part for a contract recruitment business is you do not want other recruiters sniffing around um, your contractors, right? And yeah. being able to persuade them to leave contracts because you said it's that's where you start getting where you're getting your money every month. So absolutely, mm, that's really interesting. Now I want to move on to like the skills side for you because you've. You, you know, you did you did um, physics as in terms of your degree, so you're not from IT or telco. So how do you kind of stay on top of, like, trends and innovations and things that are disrupting the, you know, the market for you? How do you keep up with it, other than just being able to, say, your track record? How yeah. are you keeping up with stuff so you can have those strategic conversations?
1: Right. It, it, you've just answered the question there. It's the conversations that I'm having every day is how I keep up, it's how I learn, it's how I've always learned, even... At university, I would struggle to read a textbook or go to. I would need to sit someone down after and be like, "What do I need to know?" Let's talk.
0: Ah, okay. So, is that verbal
1: it's t- that you retain? Same thing. Every kind of candidate I talk to, always try and get something from that. Encourage everyone else to do the same. Ask. Them.
0: Do you store it somewhere? Do you store it? Do you give it to someone to use for marketing, like white papers, or what would you do with it? Or is it just kind of just sticks and stays and use that just as verbal?
1: If I was better, I would store it, Andrea. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Some,
0: <laughs> you're doing this marketing thing now you've got to get you know that's got to all convert into some snazzy little white paper
1: exactly yeah that's the next okay. once I up the game a little bit that will be it I mean I do write some stuff down of course I, I, maybe 10% sinks in but you, you, the thing is you reach common themes if you talk to 10 people at, yeah. in the same area and you're asking them the same questions or what companies are uh, hiring at the moment or who in the next three to five years where do you, where do you see the market and 10 people will probably give you three answers and there's there's always those...
0: okay okay interesting and and are you seeing kind of virtual events going on in your area where people are getting together and networking is is that going on in you I'm just I don't know if they are or not but you know are there sort of virtual events or trade shows or kind of anything like that or not really
1: I see them advertised, Andrea. I I haven't been to any. I don't know anyone that's. I see some, there's some cybersecurity ones, webinars that go on, and some companies. Yeah. haven't been to one, so I can't comment what they're like, but for me, I'd go to Barcelona every year. It's a MWC, which is the biggest telco conference in the world, and okay. that and RPI would would always invest in that. It's a, not oh, a cheap, nice location. Yes, yeah, cool, but it's great. But the whole aspect of that—if that was virtual, I don't know—the whole it's the magic is is face to face, right? You go there. Yeah,
0: and, that's and, the thing. And I suppose you're still getting the contacts if they got lists of contacts and you do it that way. But yeah, it's a little bit so, laborious, isn't it? It's not quite the same. Um, I'm just trying to read my question and read my handwriting. So, what would you say are the best resources for you to be to be successful as a recruiter?
1: Um, from
0: a from a personality
1: standpoint, or from a tool? Yeah,
0: both. Yeah, personality tools or yeah.
1: Yeah, I would say definitely it's not a nine to five job. So, uh, you need that. You need to love it. You need to love working hard and longer than, than is necessary in order to get a result that you want. Uh, yeah. You need to be able to cope with the highs and lows of everything. You need mm. to get too excited when things get good and not to...
0: Yeah, how do you deal with that stress? That's I mean, especially now, it is pretty... Rub- well, it's getting better, but it was a bit rubbish. So how do you deal with it? Is it the gym thing or do you do do you do you other stuff that yeah, kind of gets you just to probably, chill out?
1: Um, for me now, I mean, experience, of of had bad, bad months and and good months and stuff, so it levels out over... I, mm. what's talking a lot helps. Having having good relationships with colleagues, um, people. About- yeah,
0: you have got some good people yeah. in your office. Yeah. yeah, that helps a lot. There's times where I've, yeah. I've,
1: I've had chats with with colleagues when things aren't going that good, and and the times when I've been that person to listen when things aren't going that good for someone else. And I think those sort of conversations actually help quite a lot because you kind of in your head, especially work from home, you can have a storm in a teacup. You can have a, a bad
0: yeah,
1: and yeah, a thousand if you're just in a room on your own at home that could accelerate and sometimes just blowing off some steam or uh, having a chat with someone else about it and it could level you out but actually it's not that bad. Okay. It's, uh, these all yeah, be- I think
0: that's really important for people right now I think it can be quite stressful for a lot of people in a sales role or any role that they're doing it can be I think every. I think you know organizations really do need to be focused on that well-being side I, I don't mean you know I don't think it's a wanky thing I really think. If organisations really believing it and care about their staff, it is sometimes just a verbal chat, you know, checking in, how are you? And um, because I think it affects different people being, especially if they're living on their own at home and, you know, they're not seeing it, not on they're just doing cold calls all day and get loads of rejections. I think it can take its toll. So I think it's really important that the companies really, you know, that you, are, you have got an environment that you can talk things through, whether it's going for a drink or having lunch or just get it off your chest that yeah. you're not the only one feeling like that
1: a million percent I think you know, you've got mental health and physical health and emotional health and they all contribute to being successful yeah. at work it's very hard to be successful if you're not physically that healthy or mentally and not in a good place either and and work from home sometimes it's hard to pick up on because everyone's at home you don't if someone's coming into the office you can it's easier to tell if someone's having a bit of a going through a bit of a tough True. time yeah um, but yeah again just on the health side, not everyone needs to go to the gym at 4am every day, of course, but it's, in, it's good. Not
0: at five o'clock that. in the morning, Dom. God, yeah,
1: Exactly. God. But it's good. To, it's important to have that, I do believe, regardless of what it is, whether it's yoga or something that's just healthy that you can kind of do that's not work and then you can kind of go back to work mode.
0: Now, I'm going to change a couple of the questions around. Um, I know a few weeks ago, there was a few posts that you put up about the charities that that you're getting behind. I know jeremy who runs um asia for rp for you guys and he's done quite a lot of the charity work is it the same charity that you're supporting
1: it is yeah so jerry Jez, jeremy he's uh done, done <laughs> jeremy yeah, um, led this led this for a while but the, the reason i tongue-tied is the jeremy thomas another jeremy is the chap ah. initially set this up so it is a charity for school children in cambodia and yeah every year a cycle ride is organized so Traditionally, it would be through Thailand, uh, Cambodia, it's the five, six days, it's pretty grueling. It's, I don't know, close to 100k a day sort of thing. My- wow. And, I- and not smooth roads, I wouldn't yeah, know. exactly. exactly. Know. It's not the Singapore ECP, for sure. So, no. uh, And then it started off with a handful of people, um, and every year it's grown. Um, and there's been years where there's 40, 50 guys and girls and a van and a bus and a drone and... It all wow. you finish off in the in the school, it's always for the same village in Cambodia. And it literally leads to the, these children getting an education, they get fed, they get clothed for the whole year. And that's
0: amazing. Otherwise they might not
1: even have an education at all. It's, it really is that significant. So um I've never got the chance yet to do the Cambodia thing. Unfortunately, this year it's no one can go there, but everyone's doing it remote. So RPI getting behind it uh, globally. So we've got the guys in UK. Are going to do it, and everyone's going to do. How do
0: you do that remotely, just a certain amount of distance?
1: Well, at the same time, on the same day, we we'll all do it where we are. So instead of doing it.
0: Anything- wow, I love that.
1: Yeah, so I, don't, I think it's just the day day event. So wherever you are in the world, if you want to join in, um, feel free. We'll Singapore, we'll do in one. Hopefully, there's some groups and people in Australia are going to do it in London. Um, all thanks to Jeremy Thomas and the guys there. Hope for Heroes called and uh, Hope for Heroes. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: that is amazing I love that and I love that you've adapted that virtually that is really quite incredible because you guys raised loads of money right I was like loads of money um a few years back on it yeah. I remember seeing seeing one of your um, posts about how much money you raised that's amazing I, I think that's I think that's great that organizations have something that they focus on um I'm going to go back a bit now in terms of the marketing side I know when we spoke a few weeks ago you said that you've you wanted to Develop a, a marketing skill for yourself. You wanted to look at that, so talk me through, talk me through this marketing course that you're on. That yeah. you're doing more posts. We're seeing a lot more of you um, on LinkedIn that we didn't. We don't normally. So what's happening?
1: Yeah, it's a bit out out of the mold, as you mentioned earlier. RPI seem to quietly go about their business under the scenes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: So breaking Definitely. from that a little bit by the recent activities I'm doing. Hopefully, it's uh, being received well. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's good. I mean. I've been. um, The last day is today of this online marketing course by Hoxo Academy. It's a great guy. Yeah, I've
0: heard of them. Yep, yep.
1: Uh, Fantastic. It's been excellent. I'd recommend it to anyone wanting to kind of have a a kickstart in terms of personal branding geared towards LinkedIn online. Love it. Yeah, but mostly on LinkedIn. Uh, How
0: long's the course then, Dom?
1: Sixteen weeks. Yeah. Okay.
0: So it's doing a little bit every week, is it? It's getting you to do specific actions every week.
1: An hour a week. There's me and there's 12 other guys and girls and uh, some people in Australia and UK. You get sent homework every week and it's great. The homework aspect is you've seen the results of my homework. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I've seen it. Yeah.
1: A certain poster makes you do it. Get out of the comfort zone a certain bit. And I think the whole philosophy of it, the the background of it is that um, going forward, online presence is just going to become what well, the theory is the thought behind it is it will become more of a bd tool i mean yeah you do absolutely and it can meet it can reach three four ten thousand people you can't call ten thousand people every day so yeah. um, not necessarily every time you do a post you're going to get some business and a client's going to call you up yeah
0: but you're there you're visible uh, yeah mm.
1: and you, at the times now you can't fly around you can't meet the people or, or touch that many
0: people
1: yeah and it's just keeping in front of mind hopefully you're sharing something either credible or valuable or even personal and people get to know you a bit better so yeah. if and when they are hiring or they are looking for a new role you're kind of in their mind in some form or another hopefully uh, to have those conversations in. I think
0: it's great are you now starting to look at how many likes you get
1: no I, I, I <laughs> don't
0: lie don't lie I did I did I did. It's
1: early. <laughs> I did the post and then kind of look at it and stuff but there are some tips and tricks around that but yeah. Is I,
0: there? Do we have to do we have to sign up to Hoxie Academy to find out what those tips and tricks are? Or could yeah, you be able to give one little can you give one little one away? Just um, one, throw it in there.
1: Give one away. There is um it's encouraged when you do a post on LinkedIn. One of the things that comes from there is uh, the earlier you get the likes um, has a direct effect on how broad the post goes. So um, it's encouraged to maybe share it with colleagues or friends and so that can help the algorithm the way the LinkedIn algorithm works I'm sure it might be actually Instagram with other algorithms as well but specifically on LinkedIn I know that um it measures itself on how good that content is by how it performs in the first hour
0: wow Um, wow that is incredible
1: helpful to maybe get a few likes and a few comments early on when you do do a post and then that then expands its reach to other people and you're- yeah
0: I love that that's a really great advice I love that and I think in a lot of recruitment and I certainly notice it from doing the podcast is recruit when I have a guest on the show um sometimes those guests are great at marketing the podcast that they're on they'll do it internally and then as you say it goes out externally and there's lots of hits but when you just and also when you do a video the video is the one thing that really makes gets people to really listen to it because they can see. Oh, okay, that's interesting. I, I might listen to that now. The, when I just do a picture, it just it 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 doesn't give as much traction. It's interesting. Yeah, people love video. You know, I think that whole you know, I still think that in the future there'll be a lot more videos advertising the jobs than just here's a post on LinkedIn. This is what I'm looking for. It looks the same. It's not very intriguing. It doesn't. It's not very compelling when people have done sort of professional, these are the jobs that we're looking for. You know, it just, you identify with that person. I think people are more likely to sort of look at it. So, so what, so what are we going to expect in the next few weeks? Have you got to like run your own podcast? Is it? Have you, have you got points now because you're on a podcast? Are you going to be like the top of your class now? Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. This is my first podcast, I guess. So that, that is actually one of the homeworks I've, I've put to the side for a bit. uh I'll see that if that's uh, if that's worth doing or not. Um, it's, it is good. I'm I'm addicted to podcasts myself. I'm a big consumer of them as a as a form of. What lead. do
0: you like listening to? What's your What's your thing? I like that Peter Crouch one actually, which is football. I know, but I like there's some really good ones out there.
1: I like anything that's gonna give value to my life that I can learn from. So whether that's yeah. economics, finance, health and fitness. Um, money whatever I can learn from yeah I kind of have. have
0: a look at Free Economics. that's a really good one it's got some really thought-provoking topics on everything yeah. it's so well done they have really interesting like you know they had a um, professional um, poker player on there you know and they're talking about you know, it's just it's just interesting people that you go wow that's you may not necessarily take some of those tips or anything on how to play poker but they're just some really interesting topics Yeah, but there is lots out there. So that might be something in the future. You might be running an RP International podcast. Yeah, could be. Maybe.
1: Yeah, it's it's something to consider. It's it's definitely in my mind to do that. There's a a market and a a niche for it. It's a great experience. I mean, I love doing these chats anyway. It's a lot easier. This is my preferred form of communication. Um, Having a chat in person or on a video is fine rather than emails or, or calls or whatever so it's a great way to connect yeah and, and it's a great thing to do for sure.
0: yeah I think a lot of people if they're walking the dog they're doing exercise I personally prefer to listen to a podcast when I run when I listen to music I just my mind wanders and I, I kind of want to give up the running but if I'm listening to a podcast so if anyone sees me on East Coast, I think I bumped into Jeremy on the, he was on his bike and I was running. I'm usually the one laughing my head off because I always listen to funny ones. And so I'm like this mad expat running along, giggling away. I literally look like I should be in a loony bin, but it's the only thing that actually keeps me focused for a good half an hour. So for those out there that aren't, aren't sure about podcasts and you're trying this out for the first time, get on it. It's, uh, I, think it's, I really do think it's the way forward. So let's get on to market trends. For you within your area, um, you know, you said tech, media, telcos, media, tech. Have I got that right? Yeah. Okay. So what are the areas that are hiring that um, may not be on volume, but what are you seeing those pockets of, of hiring at the moment for you guys in Asia pack?
1: I would say it's um, you have to dive, you have to segment the market to answer that properly. I'd say because mm. different, okay. different seniorities we're seeing at uh, 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 affected differently. So I touched on it earlier, but the senior, the higher up you go, they're still very slow in terms of hiring yeah. and activity that yeah. we're seeing. Anyway, the lower down you go, whether that's uh, DevOps, developers, coders, project managers, maybe hands-on architects, um, website designers, builders, there's still we're seeing some activity on that side of things, but less so if you're a CEO or VP. Sales heads, regional heads, Still uh, yeah. some uncertainty about the future. So clients are seeing clients maybe hold back on those sort of decisions at the moment.
0: And it's but, been an increase on the contract side as well. Yeah,
1: I would say so. I wouldn't say increase, but I would say the contract stuff has carried through more. So right, right. Like, it hasn't affected it. So many more contract roles than before we haven't, but... There's, I mean, we've been lucky. Our contractors have remained on site, whereas I was worried that some would get uh, pulled up or called off so Okay, okay. On a, on a remote, which is fantastic for us. Uh, mm. So, yeah, so that's the seniority side of things. And then obviously regional, everyone's different at the moment. So um, some countries have been more affected than others, I would say. I mean, in Singapore, uh, the tech insurance side of things is still relatively yeah. okay and healthy. Uh, the finance okay. a little bit as well. Telecom not so much here, but there's only there's only two or three telcos here. To yeah, yes, yeah,
0: not so big. Um,
1: so yeah, it's not a it's not a one size fit So it's a long way of answering your question, but it's not a.
0: Yeah, well, no, of course not. Australia,
1: no, we Australia's been always a good market that's been quite hardly in I mean, Melbourne's in a lockdown now. Um, yeah, quite aggressive yeah. lockdown. So our Australia stuff is very quiet. Uh, yeah, Singapore's doing okay. Hong Kong's been a bit tough recently. So. Yeah, it's um.
0: What about all the kind of Indonesia and you know wh- those kind of markets? How how's Indonesia for you know for um for some of the sectors you look after? Telecom- has that been affected? It's okay. It's okay. It's, it's been
1: it's been a great market for us in the past. indonesia We've just got some yeah down there. Done some awesome work with a number of the operators and companies doing business with the operators. Um, it's still it's still doing okay. I would always say that our top three from purely activity perspective in terms of yeah. volume. I would say we've got our, our tri- triple three was a uh, Philippines, Indonesia and Malaysia. That's where our
0: Philippines, we're. Indonesia and Malaysia. Okay. Interesting. Whole, whole okay.
1: Then you've got our next tier, I would say would be Singapore, Hong Kong, Australia, maybe slightly more development.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Third layer
1: is probably like your Cambodia, your Myanmar. Yes. I
0: remember you guys did work there. So with the Philippines, you don't have an office in the Philippines, right?
1: Um, we have some partners that we work through if we need.
0: Right. To. Okay. Um,
1: and we've also Is got that, fantastic Filipino delivery recruiters in, in RPI, as you know, as well. So that's yes, pretty back, like some more yeah. awesome delivery people.
0: So will there be growth for you in terms of offices in the future in places like Philippines? Or do you think you'd always be kind of head office, sort of leaner, mean, or, you know, just sort of sticking in the more developed um, locations?
1: Yeah, I mean, if it was, I would love to. I would absolutely love to do that. But it's not, there's obviously more considerations during the during yeah. to the clients. There's the... Yeah, the... the link I mean,
0: maybe not now, but...
1: stuff. But I, I would definitely see the... Uh, but it's expensive having offices around the region, for sure. So it needs to be taken yeah. into account. It needs to be worthwhile. But
0: Maybe it's not offices anymore. Maybe it's the work-from-home stuff for now, right? Maybe it isn't office space anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, it does... To get it stuff off the ground. We would go to Manila a lot, and as long as we're there to meet, gather the requirements, understand what's needed, and then go back and deliver it from Singapore, then maybe it didn't feel like that was a problem. So... Mm.
0: Uh, interesting right um let's go last sort of few questions um i'm not going to ask you what areas are declining because i think it's probably a little bit is it obvious or not no is there is there sort of areas that you feel have really been massively impacted
1: um we've been just asked Especially in Asia, in our business, that it is obvious that aviation's been hit hard enough. Yeah, Dubai, yeah. The Middle East office does a lot in that space with the airlines, and obviously that's been, right. can, be, can have gone worse really, so that's an obvious one. Um, other areas, I mean, telecoms in its way is now being viewed. One thing I've taken from this year is it's almost been viewed as an essential service now, like a yes, yes. I mean, like having broadband in your home is an absolute, you need to be connected now. Whereas yeah. Uh, beforehand maybe that wasn't the case as much so that's okay but uh, there's other areas that we don't operate in. it happens to be that our areas of specialty have have been protected so far so we don't do retail I'm trying to think no. about been affected quite a lot education
0: logistics
1: logistics not so much so, no yeah i mean yeah look, so it's
0: not the sort of areas you're in yeah it's our, interesting sort
1: of security these areas um that's kind of what we do and specialize in and there's still there's some activity going on there
0: what are you most looking forward to in the next few months in what you do?
1: Um, personally, I'm looking forward to seeing my family at some point. Obviously, being an expat, this is probably from abroad. here. I've got sisters and mum and dad back home, so that's a, that's one thing. And then um, on the work front, just having borders open to be able to be able to get about a bit more personally yeah. as well. Maybe um, have a trip, have a holiday, um, and just yeah, get catch up with some people face to face and stuff.
0: No, absolutely. Right. I've got some quick fire questions. These are really quick. Okay. These are like answers. These are like boom, boom, boom. Right,
1: let me get ready to do them. Okay. Go for go.
0: <laughs> so what talent do you have that not many people know?
1: Um, I guess uh, I'm going to say not many people know, but I'm, I've always been a sporty person. So I don't know that, that that would go down to anything relating to sport, I would say, whether that's tennis or golf or football. or. Uh, and...
0: Well, you're good at all of them.
1: Yeah I don't like being bad at stuff either so um, when I was a kid. Oh
0: you're one of them. I was obsessed
1: with that side of things so yeah anything sporty I would say would be a a talent in some way. Mm. And what's
0: a really bad habit of yours that drives others crazy?
1: (sighs) Um, Too many to mention probably.
0: (laughs) Yeah it's a quick fire round.
1: Yeah (laughs) not the most patient of people and so that that can come across uh, have a have an interested impact on the people around me sometimes. And it can help get things done, but it can help also not make some friends along the way as well. So I would think that as well.
0: What's the one piece of technology that you could not do without, excluding your phone and earphones? Um,
1: Probably my Apple Watch.
0: Right, okay. Well, I would say, I don't know if you
1: count podcasts as technology, but um, that would be close second if, if, you, if that's a bit. Yeah, I like uh, it, okay. But yeah, uh, yeah. Or, uh, or my, I love my wearables. I'm a bit of a techy from that side of things.
0: What's something people seem to misunderstand about you?
1: Um, maybe, yeah, I don't know. Maybe confusing confidence with, uh, I don't know. Uh, Come on,
0: spit it out, spit it out. Come on.
1: There's nothing, Andrea. There is nothing. <laughs> Not misinterpreted in
0: any way whatsoever. <laughs> so, just... what's the, what's the last photo you took? Probably of my dog. Of yourself? No, sorry. Well... of my dog, then myself. <laughs> your dog and your. I've seen you mentioned your dog. What dog have you got on on your LinkedIn post? What dog have you got?
1: I've got um, a mini bull terrier. And have got... you? i as a little lockdown dog. We got him. A week before we went into lockdown here in Singapore as a puppy. So, just a lot of
0: people have got dogs, haven't they, during lockdown? They are a bit of a god save, aren't they? Um, that was the last one, that was the last question. He behaved throughout this whole
1: interview, which I'm um, amazed about. It's a world record for him to not. Is he sniffing at the
0: door? My dog's generally sniffing at the door, which is really quite off putting when you're trying to concentrate and all you can hear is sniffing. Um, thank you so much for your time today and being a guest on Talent Talk Asia. Um, If anyone would like to reach out to Dominic at RP International, we'll have the details on Spotify and iTunes and everyone that was mentioned, uh, names that were mentioned in the cast will also be there that you can reach out to for anyone around um, the globe for RP International. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or keen on our e-learning recruitment training courses at the career establishment, then please reach out, contact details below. So thanks very much, Dom. Appreciate it. Thank
1: you for your time. It's been great fun. Loved it.
0: You have been listening to Talent Talk Asia podcast by The Career Establishment. To learn more about The Career Establishment, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at www.thecareerestablishment.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.